The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And it's your regular Thursday club with me today, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Fulham's writer for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Hey, Sammy, how you doing? Good, thank you. Lots to discuss in this podcast. The final word from uh, Saturday's 3-0 defeat to Man City. We'll gloss over that and look forward to bigger and better things against Leeds United on Friday. A massive game, the final match before the international break. Uh, And then in part two, lots to get through. We're going to be discussing our favourite Fulham goals from a technical point of view. Uh, I'll give you the reasons for that later. And we're also going to discuss Jerome Poku following Peter's piece in The Athletic, which you can read now for 40% off your regular subscription, just $3.99 a month. If you want to get all of Peter's amazing articles, plus the Fulhamish podcast advert free, you can do that right now by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Once again, that's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. And one other thing that you would have been able to get had you subscribed, but it's a little bit too late now, was access to Peter's Fulham quiz last night, uh, which took place. I was in attendance. Uh, He hosted it with uh, Justin Guthrie, who's one of the sub-editors at The Athletic and and a big Fulham fan. Uh, It was fantastically done, Peter. I really enjoyed myself. A half-time Q&A from none other than Sean Davis as well. Uh, Did you enjoy hosting the quiz? No, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I'll leave all the hosting to you and, 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 and Jack and it's not a natural environment for me. I was glad it when it was done. Um, but Sean was good value at half time. He was really good. It was a nice, easy uh, chat with him and um, some good questions. I thought, I thought my questions would be trickier um, and then I realized they may have been a bit too easy and now I'm not really too sure. But all the questions are going up tomorrow. I wouldn't, so we're, I wouldn't we're take uh, Sammy's word for it because, like, Sammy didn't support Fulham until he was 24. So, like, <laughs> give it a rest, mate. I'm going to give you a pass because it's Paddy's day and I don't want to be mean to you on your special day. But I, any other day, I'd rip into you right there. Um, Peter, I thought what we could do, I actually thought there were some tricky questions there last night. I really did. Um, I came about mid-table in the end. I had a terrible start and managed to redeem myself towards the end. Uh, Farrell, who um, you'll know from the podcast, came third in the end, which was a, was a very impressive performance. Could you give us three of your trickiest questions? Um, this is a twofold challenge. One, I want to see how Jack does. Two, I thought people listening could see how they do. And at the end of the podcast, if you stick all the way to the end, you can give the answers and maybe people can tweet in with how many out of three they got. Yeah, we'll do that. And then we'll also do like a, you know, when they do the match of the day on the news late and like, if you want to walk out so you don't hear the answers, you can do that because we'll publish the whole thing tomorrow. So if you don't want the spoilers, we'll, we'll mix it up. Okay. Uh, right. Let's pick three questions for Jack. Okay. Let's do one from the first round. So the first round was name the club uh that the that the Fulham player played for yeah. I hated um, this round this was this was a horrible round for me yeah you didn't do very well on that Sammy we couldn't really find you on the leaderboard after that round um <laughs> <laughs> so this one is Scott Parker um so his first club was Charlton mm-hmm. and then he went on loan somewhere then he went to Chelsea Newcastle West Ham Tottenham and Fulham yeah. so what club did Scott Parker go on loan to 
from Charlton. And you have three options, Norwich, Millwall. I just want to let you know Nor- that I know the answer. So it's, <laughs> I don't actually need the options, but I'll let you give it for the listeners. <laughs> you did actually shout it out, but we have now re-recorded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the final option is uh, Gillingham. So Norwich, Millwall or Gillingham. Yeah, that okay, one. that's question one. Okay. I didn't um, get that one and it really annoyed me. You surprised me, Sammy. Right. Okay. How many Americans have played for Fulham in the Premier League? Is it six, eight, or 11? Yep. Okay, and... I'm trying to get a pen that works so I can make sure I don't... Yeah, okay, we're good. We're good. (laughs) Okay, and then in the third round, it was uh, who scored. So there were a load of 1-0 wins for Fulham, and you had to name the goal scorer. So this one was Fulham 1, Egalio Athens 0, the Intertoto Cup third round, the 20th of July 2002. Who scored for Fulham? Is it Facundo uh, Sava, Steve Marley, or Louis Saha? Mm-hmm. Good Do you know that one, Jack? Good question. Yeah, I, I have a DVD of that year. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> There's an entire run. I, I like, think Jack, Jack missed the trick by not turning up last night. He had other commitments because um, some champ- other football was The old playing. Champions was on, unfortunately. <laughs> I actually think Jack would have stood a very good chance of winning last night. I think he could have given Jeff Bruce, who works for the club and did win it, uh, a, run, a run for his money. So we'll give those answers at the end of the podcast. And um, it was all for a very good cause as well. Uh, It's all to support Prostate Cancer UK. And uh, we raised some money for them, of course. And um, that's very nice. Uh, And if you take part in Peter's quiz, which is going to be published, I'm sure they'll give details on how you can donate to that very worthy cause. Okay, let's do the final word then from City on Saturday, Jack. And, And I just want to kind of come on to the importance and and I think there was a bit of debate amongst Fulham fans online with some people understandably being annoyed by what happened on Saturday and downbeat and particularly given the results that that really went against us on Sunday particularly Brighton's win at Southampton and a lot of other people just saying like get a grip this is Man City you can't be annoyed so what were your feelings after the weekend? Look, I think there's there's two sides of this. One, you look at Man City and they're an exquisite team who have lost once in, in recent memory, right? And in that weird loss to United where, in as in the preview show, we said they could have come out on top and no one would have would batted an eyelid. They are top of the Premier League by some distance. They are cruising in four competitions. And currently, I think that they're the best side in Europe, if not the world. Um, so to lose to them is no huge issue right to, to lose to man city is is not in itself anywhere near a, a negative i think you can however still pick out fulham's individual errors and say these aren't great and and i think the the, the fact that fulham switched off after half time were, were punished from a dubious free kick should we say yeah. uh, you know let's let's be honest um yeah. the fact that we switched off we kept the line so aggressively high and allowed John Stones to ghost in the fact that we played ourselves into trouble, you know, for the second goal, you can look at those and say those individual errors are still bad. It doesn't just because it's Man City doesn't mitigate the fact that Fulham have have really played themselves into trouble in in, in both situations there, I think, and have really let themselves get overwhelmed by a side because, you know, we, we talked about this in the preview said if you want to get anything out of Man City, you have to be perfect. 
for 90 minutes. And in the first half, I thought Fulham were close to perfect in, in how you play against Man City, in the way that we, we kept them at arm's length. We played some really nice stuff ourselves, created, looked to, to get our foot on the ball when, when we did have the ball and saw off sustained periods of pressure. And then you compare that to the second half where we just had these sort of mini implosions that kind of kept going and going and going. And, you know, the same goes for the penalty, which is which is really silly in, in, in many ways. So I think you can you can both say that, yes, it's City and you shouldn't take it too you know, aggressively, harshly in the wider context of the city of the season, and also say Fulham still needs to cut out silly mistakes. It doesn't matter if it's against City or against a relegation rival or against Leeds United this Friday. If you make those kind of mistakes, people are going to punish you. So, so you know, they don't change just because of the opposition. Uh, that would be my take. You know, the result itself, fine. Not a problem. Fulham just need to get back to not committing silly errors because that's not something we've seen in this run of increased you know expectation in improved performances they're things that we've managed to cut out and to see them kind of slip back into the game is slightly worrying even if it is against City. Um, Peter what was the mood after the match obviously you'll have spoken to Scott he won't have been as jubilant as he was after the game against Liverpool I would also quite like to know whether the jacket was brought up or was it not the time or the place (laughs) unsurprisingly the jacket was not brought up after a 3-0 home defeat Um, (laughs) it seemed a better fit this week I thought Um, maybe there was a gilet was gone I couldn't really tell from my side of the ground but anyway um, (laughs) yeah um, in terms of the mood yeah I think frustration um, as much as there was sort of disappointment I mean normally as Jack was saying you'd probably sort of bat the result away because of who City are and the way they're playing but the nature of the goals you could tell um, didn't really sit well with Scott and Scott will always um, be quite open with how he how he thinks he doesn't really hold anything back Um, he called them poor sloppy um, which were quite strong words and you know I think they were kind of merited and, and it's all it's all really about how you sort of perceived the game uh, not how you perceive the game sorry it's all about perspective really because Fulham played well enough in that game if you take away that 15 minute sort of horror spell to have probably merited a point uh, at least um, and that's probably why it was more disappointing and why it's more frustrating so in a, in a weird way it's a positive that it was disappointing um, because Fulham had played to that standard now of course as Jack was saying those errors were really uncharacteristic they cost the game really um and you know that those you just have to hope that it's an isolated thing of course it's Manchester City the pressure's on you have to concentrate so much harder probably um than you would on your your average game in terms of the intensity they play at how intricate they are I mean the system that Guardiola deployed was completely unexpected I think for most Manchester City observers as as much as for for the Fulham team and, and and from a Fulham side um, with the back three and, and real out-and-out wing-backs. Um, so there was a lot more um, intensity to the game. I, I liked the way Fulham played. I liked the sort of the man-marking that Scott Parker sort of asked his midfielders to do with, with Anguissa just sitting on Rodri for most of the time and then Harrison Reed picking up. I think Aguero would drop deep and then Lamina would be on Bernardo Silva and they sort of swapped. Uh, at times you'd end up with... Um, even Cavallero swapping from left back because he was marking Cancelo and ending up on the right-hand side. And then Lookman would come across and Loftus-Cheek was floating everywhere. And then Reed would end up on the right. And, you know, it was a very, very fluid system dealing with a very difficult challenge in, in City. And that first half, it, it worked quite well, I felt. And, and as Jack was saying, there was, there was a threat. But um, 
as it transpired, it ends up with a 3-0 defeat. Um, I, I think when you to take away from it, it's probably the fact that Fulham still got three points from probably one of the hardest weeks of the season, um, which is hugely impressive and you just sort of move on from it uh, and go again with, with these more important games coming up um, and just making sure that those errors are not reoccurring down the line. Uh, onwards and upwards then to the challenge of Leeds United on Friday. Jack, first of all, nice to be playing on a Friday night again. It was very much a home from home for, for Fulham last year, wasn't it? Yeah, we did enjoy a Friday night kickoff, especially when we could go to games. Um, but it, it, it has eluded us a little bit this uh, thus far, and yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that we can we can see ourselves play on a Friday night. Also, it's one of those ones where Fulham win on a Friday night, and I know that's a little bit, you know, uh, presumptive, <laughs> presumptuous. Yeah. yeah, maybe. But it, you know, if, if Fulham do win on a on a Friday night, it puts it. You know, the rest of the weekend is is great Bliss, isn't it yeah. you know the rest of the weekend you sort of floats by and all the different things don't affect you quite as much and you don't worry about what the other teams are doing obviously you still keep an eye on it but you're no longer stressing about what's going on and I think that in itself is a, a huge opportunity for Fulham obviously not for not for the Fulham players but but for the fans in terms of and the players will know that that it means the world to the fans to win on a, on a Friday night so so fingers crossed we get the job done yeah, exactly. Uh, we're facing Leeds and look, we've got a big history of facing them in the last couple of years, Jack. Um, it's an interesting one with Leeds, of course, coming to the capital. They still haven't got over their London curse, which Fulham very much have as well, especially in the Premier League. But they haven't won a game in the capital since December 2017. That's over 20 away games uh, in the capital since they've won. Um, I'd be imagine they'll be quite keen to get that monkey off their back, if little else, because there's not a lot left in the season for Leeds other than kind of seeing it through to the end and just getting the few wins that he needs in order to keep them mid-table. But they've had a great season. Um, but there's certainly hope for Fulham of getting three points in this match. Yeah, I spoke to John McKenzie about this this week, who's obviously a Leeds fan for his pod, All Stats, aren't we? And I said, is there a chance you'll be on the beach? Um, more in hope than, than expectation, I think. And and actually, the the response was, he's, I don't think you can ever be on the beach with Marcelo Bielsa at the helm, which uh, which is probably fair enough in, in in general terms. But it was it was one of those where... You know, you really hope that that Leeds might have just eased off a little bit. I think they're too far away to be in the relegation scrap. Their performances have dropped off of late. I think you know a lot of people will look at that point against Chelsea and think, or a resurgent Chelsea, and say, "Oh, they might be a, a team coming into this with with a little bit of form." But I think the potential that Patrick Bamford might be missing is, is a huge one for us. I know he defies opinion in in various ways, but I do think he's crucial for the way that this Leeds side work. And I don't think Rodrigo Moreno, as, as good a player as he is, ha has quite got to speed with exactly what Bielsa wants from his forward yet and, and hasn't quite fulfilled the role that's expected of him. And, and so I think this is an opportunity in many ways. There are obviously plenty of exceptionally talented players in this squad, notably Rafinha, who is a Champions League player kicking around for Leeds and mm. he is genuinely that good um, so you know it's not going to be easy by any stretch but you do hope that the fact that this game is huge for Fulham and is big but not massive for Leeds would work in our favour and, and hopefully the hoodoo can therefore continue. I look at Leeds um, P, and I think that if Fulham hadn't just had such a cataclysmic start to the season 
we wouldn't be miles behind them, would we? I, I, I don't look at Fulham and look at Leeds and think there's a massive difference now in terms of the quality of the teams. But of course, Leeds sit pretty in 12, 10 points above us and, and we sit in 18th. Um, I just never thought there's a massive gap between the two sides. And and I think we worried last season about Parker versus Bielsa because I think we thought that Parker would be completely out of his depth against someone with the quality of Marcelo. And now I don't actually think that it's as big a golf as it maybe once was feared to be. No, I don't think it is as big. Um, I think that's a fair point. You know, it's it's 10 points at the moment, obviously. And but you do think back to the start of the season and we've, we've said it time and again that Fulham are sort of playing a, a 30, what, 34 game season, 33 game season because of if you consider it to be a false start. But um, in terms of how they're playing, in terms of results, um, you know, there's a, I think there's a, a similar reception also outside of both clubs to how they're doing. I think there's both positive, you know, feelings for both in terms of playing style and uh, entertainment value as well. Um, very different ways of playing. I mean, Fulham are a lot more pragmatic than, than Leeds and they're very dogmatic in the way they play. You know, they have a one set style and, and they'll stick to it. Um, so in, in that sense, yeah, that, that there's not overly that much of a difference. Now, and I, I think the games coming up now for Fulham will probably give a, a nice indication of that because obviously the games that Fulham, you know, struggled at the start of the season do correlate now with these games you know Leeds, Villa, uh, Wolves, uh, Arsenal as well so uh, maybe you could then see how Fulham come out of this period and, and then maybe hypothetically transplant it to the start of the season and say actually do you know what they're not they're not miles and miles apart um, I do think Leeds are in a bit of a strange patch of form uh, I think they've only scored in one of the last four games uh, possibly one of the last five actually um, so they, they are struggling a little bit by their own standards. Not something you'd sort of expect from a Marcelo Bielsa team to, especially in the final third, to be struggling in, in that regard. Um, so may, maybe there is an opportunity there for, for Fulham. Um, they, will, of course, will want to, be, to push back. But if, if Bamford can't make the game, or at least isn't 100% fit, um, you know, you do, you do sense an opportunity if they can, if you can keep Rafinha quiet. You know, he's without doubt their danger man, as Jack was saying. He's a, he's a fantastic player. Um, and, you know, it's, it's also a bit weird because this is a game where the records, <laughs> the pre-match, you know, head-to-heads and everything sort of suit Fulham more. You know, obviously you've got Leeds' terrible record in, in London. I think Fulham have only lost one of their last uh, home league games against Leeds. So, yeah, it's a slightly different balance to this one. And uh, may, maybe this is one that's there for the taking. Now, of course, the, the importance of this game is massive because of Saturday. Um, and Brighton, Newcastle, you know, getting three points, coming out of the bottom three just really piles on the pressure uh, for both teams. I, I feel like Brighton aren't really the team Fulham are chasing. Um, it's Newcastle. Um, but yeah, ahead of that game, having this game on the Friday night, that's so, that's so, so important. Yeah, I think that's something that's really important to say, Jack, now that this is the opportunity that Fulham can have to get out of the bottom three, even if it's just for a day um Newcastle if Fulham did win Newcastle would have to get three points in order to then get out of the relegation zone which might boost Fulham in the fact that Brighton is suddenly back in danger I think that's why this game feels so crucial not only is it against a side that I think Fulham know that they could beat on their day but also the fact that that match is going on 
I just think the players psychologically would be su- in such a good place if they get out the bottom three, even if it's just for a day. Yeah, I think this is important, right? And, and something that I've kind of noted over the last couple of weeks, as the you know the fervor has grown around this Fulham team, obviously that's that's always helped by beating someone like Liverpool in a, in a game like we did. And I, I think the fan base feels confident in in many ways that this Fulham side are going to stay up and 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 it's important for that to to reflect onto the pitch and I think the players are confident and we've seen from the interviews and the discussions they've given that they're confident that they can stay up this season they can stay in the division but also you know the fact that the fan base has started to really believe that this is the case and it almost feels now I think and especially to me that Fulham get relegated it's a disappointment. It's a huge disappointment. It's, yeah. it's a massive blow, despite the fact that Fulham haven't actually got out of the relegation zone yet, right? And that's weird. That's a weird kind of thing that if, if Fulham were now 17th, even by a point, right? And we were like, we'd be really disappointed if we went down. That seems more normal than being 18th, not having actually climbed out really at any given point and still being in there and still being like, nah, we go down. It's an absolute, you know, absolute travesty. This side is good enough to stay up, et cetera, et cetera. So like you say, to get out, I think would be a huge boost to everyone because it would be, it would show that that faith is not misplaced in some ways, if, if that makes sense. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. I mean it in terms of it show you that this Fulham side have the caliber and the capacity to get out of that relegation zone and, and then hopefully to kick on and stay there. But at the moment, it feels like all of this faith and this kind of brewing sense of optimism around Fulham is still caveated by the fact that we haven't yet jumped out of these relegation places. And I think to do that, as you say, even for a day or two, would be a huge boost of morale everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Fulham have been chasing something, always been behind in a race for quite a long time, Jack, because even like last year we were looking at the top two and we never quite made that leap. Obviously this, this season we went down. I mean, it wasn't really a chase, was it? But we were always in that bottom three and looking to get out. Even the season that under Slavisa, we were in third for such a long time, hoping to make that leap into, into second. And I think psychologically, this group of players can actually just go one further and actually get out and be the ones being chased at. I'd almost like to see that dynamic because sometimes you can be comfortable, I think, in second place when yeah. it's, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? And I think that's maybe what Fulham Works got for Radio to- 1 for a little bit of time starts <laughs> quoting Stormzy on Fulhamish podcast. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> I mean, it is just generally a saying, but yeah, go for it. Like, I, I, th- I think that would be an interesting dynamic for Fulham to go, right, this has gone into um, delirium. So I think it's a good time to take a break. Uh, we've got plenty to discuss afterwards. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Um, as we edge closer to the end of the podcast, we obviously edge closer to Jack having to give out his answers for Peter's quiz. Are you feeling confident, Jack? Yeah, I'm 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 hundred percent confident that I've got hundred percent. I'm really upset. I'm really upset, Peter, that we can't catch him out a little bit more. Yeah, Maybe no, we need I, to um Shall I throw him another one? Yeah, throw me a curveball. Okay. Right. You can answer this straight away, Jack, or you don't have to hold this to the end. Fine. Let's do okay. it. Okay. Let me do one from round four. Sorry, What's the just... round? What's the round four? So ra- See, round, round four f- is about the current club. Oh, nice. See, ra- round four was my best round by a mile. Which Fulham player did work experience at Barclays Bank, age 16, 
and called it the worst two weeks of his life. Was it Bobby Decadover-Reed, Kevin McDonald, or Tom Kearney? Ooh, good question. I actually, I think I got this wrong. Yeah, well, I can imagine. <laughs> Surely not a, a really, really obviously one. Um, was this in one of your pieces, Peter, by the way? No, it wasn't, actually. Uh, it wasn't. Okay, I was going to think, I was, I, I was feeling bad when I got it wrong. I was like, oh, I bet Peter did like a full um, dossier <laughs> A few of this. the questions were like sort of tied, but this one, this one was a bit more of a curveball. I'm going to guess Tom Kearney, but it is a guess. It is Tom Kearney, yeah. Of course it's Tom Kearney. Unbelievable. Um, you can tell it's Paddy's day, can't it? That is luck of the Irish. Luck of the right Irish there. therein. Um, that, is a, that was, to be fair, a complete guess. I had no idea whatsoever, apart from I can only imagine Tom Kearney working in the bank and be like, this is rubbish. <laughs> like, this is absolutely awful. So that was all I, all I got. See, I said Deckard over Reed. I have no idea why. But no, I reckon Bobby Deckard ever Reed quite enjoyed that. Like he does, he's good at whatever he puts his mind to, right? Like right <laughs> wing back, right wing, centre forward, centre mid, working <laughs> at Barclays Bank on network experience. Wouldn't matter. Bobby would have smashed it. Wouldn't have been the worst weeks of his life. TC, I can imagine like looking at that and be like, I am a languid eight slash ten. Like this is not for me. Yeah. He he wants to be nothing else but a footballer, Tom Kearney, and, and and his lifestyle doesn't suit anything else than a, than a footballer either. Uh, maybe he, I reckon he. I mean, he could have been a hairdresser or a barber, couldn't he, with those locks of hair, if he hadn't have made the grade as a footballer. I, I don't. I don't think that's an assumptive thing to say. No, it does have it. He has a, a good eye for a haircut. If he if his own one is is anything to go by. Uh, right. Um, We've been going on that it's Paddy's Day today, the 17th of March, but probably when you listen to this, it will be the 18th of March, uh, which means it's the 11th anniversary of this. Into who? Dempsey. Dempsey will try and chip one! It was the 18th of March 2010 in the last 16 of the Europa League. Fulham 4, Juventus 1. The most famous of famous nights at Craven Cottage. The result that we all bring up far too much in conversation. The result that we can use when backed into a corner. We could lose to nearly every team in the land and they can say, you're shit, what have you ever won? And we can say, yeah, but have you ever beaten Juventus? On this night, Fulham had arguably their greatest ever result, their most dramatic comeback and potentially most iconic goal all in one go. In this episode, we go back to that evening at Craven Cottage, ask whether it was the greatest game in the history of Fulham FC and also debate whether a result of that magnitude could ever happen again. That's right. 11 years since Fulham's famous 4-1 win over Juventus at Craven Cottage. Um, A famous night 
for Fulham Football Club and really just wanted to take an opportunity to say that our documentary that we did, which you just heard an excerpt from, which was called Unforgettable Fulham 4 Juventus 1, available to listen now. Um, It's just been reposted on the Athletics Fulhamish feed if you are a subscriber to The Athletic. If not, uh, check out our social pages uh, and there are links to the documentary on there. Um, If you didn't get around to listening to it last year, it's about 35 to 40 minutes. Uh, features excerpts from uh, Fulhamish people, from journalists, from players that played that night as well. Uh, we were very proud of it when we released it last year. So we'd just love to give it another plug to listen now. So uh, do check out the Fulhamish socials or the Fulhamish feed on the Athletic app if you'd like to listen to that. Obviously, once you've listened to this podcast first. Yeah, yeah uh, don't, don't switch us off. We're producing Fulham content gold right now. <laughs> I talked about this this night by complete coincidence in today's Europa League breakfast. Uh, we oh, really? did the greatest uh, Europa League comebacks as a top five in today's one. Uh, that'll be out now on UEFA's YouTube channel. And I waxed lyrical about this. Uh, and in that waxing lyrical, I also revealed that this was the only time at a football match ever that I have found it acceptable to whip my shirt off and swing it around my head. Like a, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Of course you did. I've of never ever did. done that before or after. Just, just then. That I moment. must admit, I, I, I am a virgin when it comes to whipping off my shirt in a crowd and, and swing it around my head. I hope to one day reach those dizzy heights. Yeah, I mean, look, 15-year-old me was having a great time. Peter, have you ever got that embroiled in a football match? That I mean, it's very unacceptable in the press box, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be quite something to do that in the press box. Um... It would be quite a good crack, to be fair, if you've got someone to film it. yeah i I don't think i'd I'd keep my accreditation uh, for long Um, depends if you did it for fulham scoring or not (laughs) (laughs) yeah depends on the home team exactly um no i've never whipped my shirt off at a football game uh i've done it in other crowd environments but not not a football game um but i'll leave i'll leave that there (laughs) leave leave that to the imagination i reckon I, my my mind went to some kind of some kind of like phone party in Ironapa when Peter was like eighteen. It's <laughs> not that, thank God. Let's, oh. let's go. With, let's <laughs> go <dreadful>. with that. <laughs> um, and of course, that night, um, the winning goal, Clint Dempsey's memorable chip, and there was a piece Peter on the Athletic, um, which I enjoyed, which had a lot of. Uh, Fulham interest in it which was a lot of the athletic writers uh, talking about um, the best goal of the Premier League era and what I enjoyed about this piece Peter was there was a lot of mentions for Paitin Kasami I was very upset when Match of the Day did a program last summer during lockdown where they did their top 10 Premier League goals and Paitin Kasami didn't just not make the top 10 I'd have accepted it not making someone's subjective top 10 when there were lots of good goals but it didn't even make the kind of like these didn't make the cut selection <laughs> um, and they must have showed about like 50 to 60 Premier League goals and somehow Paitin Kasami got left out and um, it was rent free in my head for, for a very long time didn't you get a tweet back from Gary Lineker I did indeed um, he was very salty uh, about the whole thing uh, in all honesty but what I wanted to come on to is it got me thinking what the greatest goal was just Fulham 
right? And I didn't really put too much stipulations on it, whether it was Premier League, whether it was Europa League, whether it was um, back in the Football League days in, in the 90s. But what I wanted to get it from was a technical point of view, because the reason this article came about was after Eric Lamella's unbelievable Rabona at the weekend for, for Spurs. And you know, some good goals are good goals because of the moments that they created, right? Or they're good goals just because they brought out an emotion. But what I wanted to find out was the best kind of technical goal. Now, I think we all know that Paitim Kasami is probably up there, um, but there were some great shouts other than Paitim Kasami. So Jack, I'll start with you. I just wanted to know what your input into, into this debate is. So the greatest Fulham goal from a technical point of view, not just raw emotion, etc. Um, I might have to go Simon Davies goal against Hamburg where he sort of flips it over the defender and then bangs it into the ground to get the the lift over the keeper. Um, I think that's probably the best technical goal I've ever seen. It helped. It was right in front of me. Um, but the fact that, you know, the, the awareness to flick it over the goalkeeper, uh, the uh, onrushing defender, and then to use the ground to get it over the keeper instead of giving it the kind of dink over him, I thought was, was absolutely wonderful. And, uh, it's always gone down as one of my favourite goals in, in Fulham history. Sometimes I think it gets forgotten about in the kind of raw emotion of that night uh, and the winner, because obviously it was the equalising goal and actually on its own it wouldn't have been enough. Um, but it was just an absolutely glorious like bit of individual skill and and that would be right up there for me. Um, Peter, I know that obviously um, you've only been covering Fulham for a season, but I know that you um, took an opportunity to look through some of the comments that came through. Were there any that stood out to you on this? There's a few. I mean, are we are we ruling out Paitim Kasami and Clint Dempsey from this discussion, or can we still use them? You can very much use them, but yeah, they are the kind of obvious. They were the kind of go tos. They're the go tos, aren't they? That sparked my thoughts with this. I like I like Simon Davis's goal against Hamburg as well. We, we, talk, we talked about that before before the pod. Um, I did like. Andre Schurler's goal against Burnley and I, I was trying I was you know looking through some some of the old, some of the older videos and the, the thing I liked with with Schurler's goal is the height of the ball in which he strikes it which is actually very very difficult because you know you know the old adage adage is when you when you you know when you're striking a ball you just get your head over it to keep it down you know he's managed to shift his body in such a way that he's managed to keep it under the crossbar uh, and put it away from from a sizable distance as well um, so yeah that's that's definitely right up there but I mean I mean, if we're going to sort of pick the very best, I think it has to be, for me, Dempsey's goal. And I think the thing with technique is you can't always like isolate it from occasion. You know, like what really can set it apart is being able to pull off your, the absolute pinnacle of your technical ability in, in high pressure situations or in, in moments that really matter. Um, and the weight he put on the ball it was, you know, it was first time. There was no, there's no, there's no thought process there. Or the, you know, he he's a very much aware of his positioning. He knows where he's going to place it. He knows the keeper's positioning as well. Um, I mean, that's that for me is is you know that's that's leagues ahead. Might worth pointing out some of the answers here, Sammy, because there's some really really good responses. Um, I, I like Owen Brown '97 with Berbatov against Stoke, uh, which remains just one of the most iconic hits it's the way that it drops and he, he like he has nothing else in his head apart from this is obviously just going in isn't it yeah. um and I, and I love that and and ben at ben underscore k underscore 99 says mccormack well he said a load but mccormack's chip against bristol city yes. which is such a great shout because 
he doesn't have room to chip the keeper. And I think yeah. that's maybe the best bit about this goal. It's like it was very much straight out like FIFA 14, where you could chip the keeper on the goal line a lot. And 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 I think the McCormack's goal in that game was genuinely, like, he looked up and he was like, keeper's not really off his line, but I could still maybe dink him. And he still dinks him. And, and that is absolute perfection in many ways. Russ McCormack, because of the way that he left and because of all of the, you know, drama surrounding him doesn't potentially get his place that I think he deserves in the Fulham pantheon. Uh, I genuinely think that Ross McCormack needs more credit. And and without him, we would nowhere near be where we are now. Um, no, um, he gets in the championship, 100%. He was the only player that had anything remotely bordering on quality. Maybe that's a bit harsh on, on a player like Moussa Dembele or something. But yeah, he, he was the only I'm, player that made things happen by himself in the pre-Tom yeah. Kearney era. Yeah, 100%. Um, there are some other great shouts here as well that I wanted to run through. Vincent Leander says, anyone said Collins John versus Middlesbrough? Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't, but that is a wonderful bit of technique and certainly one I th- one of the best technical goals, I think, maybe before the kind of Kasami and Dempsey kind of took it to another stratosphere. Um Johnny Smith, Diamancy camera, bicycle kick versus Spurs. Clean connection that looped beautifully over Paul Robinson. That was a memorable, memorable Talking goal. of bicycle kicks, actually, I didn't see if anyone put this one in, but Zoltan Gira, when he flicks it up for himself against Man United and volleys it in, that's a magnificent yeah. goal as well. Yeah, Aaron Paul actually uh, tweeted me uh, to mention that one. Uh, a few other notable shouts here as well. A couple of these a bit underrated, but good goals. Uh, Ryan Tunnicliffe versus Bristol City. Oh, yeah. Uh, Halloween back uh, in the championship days was a lovely little lob over the goalkeeper. And one here that definitely goes under the radar, but it was a fantastic shout. Got a, quite a lot of love. Um, this suggestion from our own Farrell Monk, Nikolai Bodjarov against Derby County. Um, a wonderful goal. A, to- a table topping. Derby County side at the time when Fulham were absolutely shite um, but that was a, a lovely goal Peter um, have you come across the name Nikolai Bodjarov on your travels on my travels like, I, I remember Bodjarov I do remember him but um, you know he's, he's not, not not a go-to is it a, a nice flashback um, a nice finish as well I mean I wouldn't put that up there as the most technically you know cha- I mean it's a very good finish to be fair to him but you know, I, I think in 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 the group we're looking at, you know, yeah, it, no, it doesn't he's... quite it doesn't quite cut for me, but you know, he gets the love. You know, <laughs> there's there's actually there's a couple more here, Sammy, that I forgot. Stuart Roberts said Kearney's at Wolves, and uh, actually, yes. the fact that we nearly left that out is is arguably nearly criminal. Um, comes have we back mentioned from the free kick? Beautiful. Have we have we mentioned Brian Ruiz against Bolton? Or against or Brian Everton. Ruiz Everton? Or against yeah. Everton? Yeah, Bra- I mean, but the Bolton one is just it's just. It's so it's such a proper scoop, isn't it? But he's not yeah. he's not really scooped it. But he's got such a good good arc on that. Kincheski at West Ham, that absolute bullet. CJ put this one in, and he also mentions a couple of people said this, but John Harley at Loftus Road against Aston Villa, uh, where he just dumps it from forty five yards. But it just I've never seen a ball. I remember being behind that goal. Um, it's one of my very earliest football memories, actually. That and it. The ball, I remember being behind it and seeing the ball just stay. It just, you know, when you used to hit it and it just would stay at a level, it was like a laser beam. It just, it just sat and it just kept going and kept going and kept going until it was in the back of the net. And I don't think I've ever hit a, seen a ball hit that well until maybe John Arnarisa turned up at Liverpool a couple of years later. It was absolute rocket from John Harley. Yeah, I th- the only one about those, and, and, and maybe the Paul Koncheski, 
ones. Do they count as like technique? Yeah, maybe. Goals? Just, do are they, they just hit it? Are they more just like <laughs> absolute twats into the into the corner? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I mean, good goals. Enjoyed them at a the time. Uh, a couple of other notable mentions as well before we finish. Josh Onuma against Cardiff got uh, a little bit of love, which was obviously uh, a wonderful goal. Yeah. Um, at the time, yeah, and and another one that I really enjoyed was Ad said Scotty Malone versus Barnsley. Um, no, because that was a cross. <laughs> that was not a cross. No way is that a cross, Jack. That is a wonderful, uh, wonderful goal. Surely so Cav you. versus Norwich. <laughs> yeah, okay. We can tell it's Paddy's day. Uh, right. Um, a, a couple of other things um, going on on The Athletic this week, Peter. I just wanted to give you a moment to talk about your interview with Jerome Poku uh, on his second loan spell away from Fulham, currently at Plymouth. Uh, and you put an article out about him um, yesterday. Obviously, a big, bright hope for the future for Fulham. So just wanted to give you an opportunity really to um, give us a little bit of an insight into, into how that went. Yeah, no, I caught up with Jerome, who's currently at Plymouth. Um, it's always nice catching up with with some of the younger lads who have gone out on loan into the Football League because, you know, it's not always easy for one to actually get these loans in the first place. I think that's that's one of the interesting things about player development, particularly at the moment. Um, and then also just to get his perspective, I think he, what was really interesting about speaking to him was, you know, how open he actually was on on that path to the first team. I know it's always something that's discussed and, and brought up and and we've talked about it on here a, a few times about getting those first team minutes and, and opportunities. Um, but uh, Jerome sort of put it in the context of what it's like to be in the academy from a young age. You know, he, he joined Fulham at the age of 10. Um, he's, he's from Mitcham, so he didn't have to travel too far. Uh, but he talks about how he would, you know, talk with Dennis Adenaran, who, who went on to Everton, of course, and is now on loan at Wickham. And and you just think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to the first team at 17, going to make my debut and it progress from there. And just sort of how that realisation changes as, as you go through and you see other players who maybe are a couple of years ahead of you then get into the 23s and then they can't get out on the loan or, or they can't get those minutes. Um, and how that sort of completely changes your sort of perspective on 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 the game and and he's he came across as a really impressive guy you know he's very headstrong he knows what he wants to do and he sees those different pathways you know the comparison between say Ryan Sessegnon going straight in but also someone like Marek Rodak or, or Marcus Bettinelli who's been on a few loans and then has come back and, and made it to the first team um, and yeah I mean it's 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 always a, a, an unusual place to, to go Plymouth because the amount of traveling you have to do um, he seems to be taking all of that in, in his stride. I mean, in terms of his season, I mean, it's been a strange one for them. They've they've gone on a few streaky runs. Um, they they're currently five uh, five games uh, without a win. I think now. Um, when I spoke to Jeremy, he'd just come off the back of a really good run of nine unbeaten. So they've been quite up and down. He spent a bit of time out the team. Uh, so he talks about that and that sort of learning process. Um, and yeah, no, he's, he's, he's kicking on really. And, you know, he wants to, to keep pushing and, and go up the levels. You know, last year he spent on loan at Accrington and, um, another, another team a, a long way away. So he's certainly uh, getting the, the life experience away from home. He's getting um, the, the air miles in. He's getting, he's getting the air miles in. He's certainly getting his national express miles in as well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's always good to catch up with him and just see how he progresses. You know, I think for him, it's, it's a case of now just trying to take that next step, keep get, getting out and, and playing. I mean, this summer will be interesting for him. Uh, I think he's in the latter stages of his contract. So um, he'll be one to be interest, interesting to follow and, and see how he progresses. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Well, if you want to read that piece, it's on the Athletic now, and as I mentioned at the top of the pod, uh, you can get forty percent off your subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham Pod. Right, focus back on Leeds next, as Don Betts has our opposition preview. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Time to cross over now to Don Betts, who has our opposition preview as ever. And he's looking ahead to Friday night's clash against Leeds United. And he spoke to Colin McGilligan uh, from the One Leeds fan channel. And they started off by speaking about what a crazy game the reverse fixture was at Elland Road earlier this season. Yep. Welcome to Leeds United, Dom. That is uh, pretty much our entire season encapsulated in one game, to be honest. It's quite a it's quite a sort of mirrored game of so many games we've had this year. Um, and if I'm honest with you, I thought Leeds were sort of, it was to and fro really for about 20, 25 minutes. And then Leeds took control. Obviously, I think we went 4-1 up. And then uh, I think Fulham were actually really lucky towards the end not to come out with anything. You know, Anguisa, we were all uh, yeah, in awe of. I thought it was absolutely superb. Luckman came on and made a massive difference and, Listen, Fulham were unlucky in that game, really unlucky not to come out with something. It was a, it was a brilliant game for the neutral, wasn't it? Yeah, it was crazy. I remember I spoke on your channel, so just for that game, and we were speaking about how it's weird going into a second game of the season saying must win. But I mean, it, it was sort of you with your, with your guys' result against uh, Liverpool at Anfield, you sort of had to back that up with performance at home. And you did that in parts. I mean, when it, when it went 4-1, I was like, is this just going to be repeated a game we played about? Two months ago, straight straight after the straight after the restart, but thank thankfully we got some. Go- Unfortunately, we didn't get a result. But I think what 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 some Fulham fans are looking comparing that game to this game coming up is that that game was when we had no competent defenders in in the <laughs> side, and now we seem to have shored it up at the back. If we can put this, a similar performance in, that's where a lot of Fulham fans are getting confidence from. Another point, if we're looking sort of ahead to the game before we sort of look at your season so far, is. Is is there a reason behind your terrible, terrible form in London? Like, is there any? Is there <laughs> is there a reason behind it, or is it simply just a coincidence that you seem to always not better pick up a result when you come down to the capital? Dom, it's it's two minutes in, and you've mentioned it. I, I hoped you wouldn't mention it <laughs> once, to be honest. But yeah, no, it's. Uh, do you know what, Dom? It's bizarre because, for example, we'll go we'll go down to the Midlands, and we've got an unbelievable record in the Midlands. It's 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 incredible. You know, anytime we go down there, we seem to get a, a good result. But the big smoke—I don't know what it is. As soon um, as you I, get below Watford, it's like no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a mentality thing, though. I've always said it. Me and my um my my guest speaker on my channel, we've said it's a mentality thing. It's it's been since 2017 now. I think we've won once in London. It was against you. 3-0, I think, when we were terrible. Yeah, and I think it going... was when Sol Bamba scored, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think I think Sam Byram, I think you had the likes of obviously you saw the likes of Ross McCormack and stuff there. We managed to get a win. We've we've won once in London in, in, in since twenty fifteen, and that was the only game. It's it's bizarre, Dom. And and I think even we played you in the championship, didn't we? And you beat us two one down there in that with that ghost penalty that should never have been given. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's bizarre, mate. It really is, and I do think it's a mentality thing. I think we've had the a lot of our existing squad has, has come with us to the Premier League, and it seems to have, as in what I'm talking about, is this squad's been together for a number of years now. It seems to have been a a part of our mindset. So I'll be honest, Dom. 
the players are definitely aware of it as well. We got promoted last year and Stuart Dallas tweeted out like something like no wins in London, no problem. So they're all very aware of it. Um, so that is definitely something that plays into Fulham's hands because Leeds just can't seem to get rid of that hoodie. You know, we, if I'm honest with you, Dom, I thought we were the better team against West Ham, but we still came out um, without anything. It just does seem to be a bit of a hoodoo slash curse down there. Yeah, and if we look at Leeds' season so far, like I'm, I'm hearing different things from, from different Leeds fans I speak to. You know, I've got a few mates who are Leeds fans and, you know, I know a few people through work who are Leeds fans. But what is your opinion on the season so far? Is it going better than you expected? You know, not even really ever been in a shout of being in a relegation battle or were you actually hoping that you know it's not the quality in the Premier League season you know from the bit bigger size hasn't been amazing I'm talking about the likes of Arsenal with likes of you know Spurs and teams like that are, are you thinking at points that we should have done better or is it it's first season up just cons- just consolidate our place in the league and then next season is when we can really push on yeah, to be honest, Dom, I look at it and Fulham's a Fulham's a sort of metric which I've been comparing it to through for a lot of people, really. I mean, your bench and your team still is miles ahead of Leeds. It's miles ahead. Um, I look at your bench and I look and I think, wow, you know, and obviously you've been up from, you've been in the Premier League, you've been relegated, you've been up, you've been down sort of yo-yoing sometimes. And and I think obviously with parachute payments, been able to make the squad better. And obviously we know you've had sort of egos in the squad that you've had to get rid of, but Fulham have always had that money side of it. And I think that's been a massive benefit to Fulham and two other clubs like West Brom are another example. Leeds have been solely out of the division for 16 years. We've had no money piled into us or anything. So we've still got the existing players that really, like I was saying earlier, have been with us for four or five years now. And Bielsa's just improved them and made them better. Um, to just put a, an understanding on it, Don, we've had 15 different centre-back partnerships this year. 15. It was the 15th at the weekend. And to, to to do what we've done with the amount of injuries we've had. We've had four under-23s on the bench pretty much near on every single game. And that's, you know, when you look at the squad depth, that's where you look at a Fulham, where you look at a West Brom even, you know, our, our relative comparatives really. We can't even compete on a squad value level at this moment in time per player with you guys, especially in wages. Um, so what we're actually doing is phenomenal. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. We shouldn't be anywhere near, you know, in terms of, as I keep saying, squad value, transfer value, for the majority of our squad, we're on par with Sheffield United. That's, that's the level we should be at. We should realistically be at 19th, 20th place, but... What Bielsa has done is it's incredible. And and I think from now on, obviously, I think we're going to stay in the division now. I think 36 points is definitely enough. But next year, it's going to be a real project. And I think Leeds are going to build and build and build and get stronger and stronger. Yeah, I think this game, especially if you look at the tail, is a game that means a lot more to us than it will yeah. to you guys. I mean, if, you, if, you end, if we end up getting a victory, it's a huge result for us. And you guys, it's... It's all right, but then you can go. You can go next week. Whereas we really need to. Can after they lost to Manchester City, we really need this first game. We've been out. We've probably been outclassed in a game in a month, a month or two. Really, I think the Leicester game was probably the last yeah. time we were outclassed in a game. So yeah. I think we, yeah, we really are looking to bounce back in this game, and that's where I think you guys could pounce. Is that mm. the pressure is kind of off you guys? The pressure is more on us to come out and get a result as opposed it is on you. But obviously, there's always pressure when you've got all the Leeds fans wanting to be, be as high up the table as you can. But for one last question, if I can push you for a score prediction for the game, Connor, what are you going to go with? Um, 
Do you know what? It's strange, but but I think any point in the Premier League is a good point, and I am going to go with a 2-2. I think we'll score first, but I think you're going to break that hoodoo, and I think you're going to come back, and it's going to be 2-1, and then Leeds are going to equalise with about 10 minutes to go, because we we are very, very good in the in the last 15. It's just the energy and endeavour of our side, so I'll go, to, I'll go for a Desmond, Dom. Thank you very much to Connor, and of course, Dom, for doing that opposition preview. As ever, if you want to watch the full chat Head over to the Fulhamish YouTube channel, subscribe now, and you can watch the full opposition preview. And also you'll be able to get Jack and Joe's latest SW6 Essential and, of course, full-time live, which is live after every match. Let's look ahead then to the lineups that we might be seeing on Friday against Leeds. And almost certainly there'll be a few changes, Jack. Uh, He brought in. Uh, Scott, your triple pivots that you wanted with mm. Lamina, uh, Reed, and Angisa on Saturday against City, but I would expect there to be a few changes and maybe a return of probably Josh Madger, but maybe Alexander Mitrovic. Yeah, um, I, I wanted the triple pivot against City, and it worked really well for forty-five minutes, and then it didn't work very well for the other forty-five minutes. So, uh, I mean. To make I mean, it, it did. Make it was a good suggestion, really. You can't. I mean, it was never designed to try and come back from one nil down against Man City, was it? It was supposed to contain, and you can't mitigate necessarily for those kind of mistakes. So no. it was a good suggestion. So well done. I hope you're getting your check in the post. Yeah, well, I think Scott's listening. We've moved from five to four at the back, and now I'm joking. <laughs> 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 But I, I, I'm interested to see what Scott does actually on on Friday night because I think there's a couple of ways you could approach this. There's, you know, you could stick with the same the midfield three, try and stifle uh, and and really try and kind of shut Leeds' energy down because I actually think that Fulham's best bet in this game actually might be to slow it down a fair bit because Leeds will want to play at, at breakneck speed for, for large parts of it. And I actually don't think that will suit us hugely. I think Fulham might actually want to to stodge in a little bit and, and slow this game down if we're, if we're to really get ourselves going because I think at 200 miles an hour, this game might get away from us in, in, in some way. So I'd be interested to see if Scott sticks with it because uh, I think he might. Uh, just because of of the way that works. I think we'll see a high press. Um, when I spoke to John earlier in the week, he said the one thing that Bielsa's always said about Parker is that he's actually outmaneuvered him, even though he's lost a couple of times to him in, in, in recent times. And I think actually we look back at not just the 4-3 where it was all a bit ma- mad, mad and manic, but the 3-0 loss at Leeds when we came back from uh, lockdown right at the start of, of that period last year. Um, Fulham were the better side for 45 minutes uh, for quite a long period. Yeah, well, for, for, for the majority of the first half and then uh, and actually just sort of got blown apart on the counter. Uh, now, obviously, Fulham are a better defensive unit than they were, well, not only then, but also in the in the reverse fixture earlier this season. And it'd be interesting to see how Parker lines that up to, to kind of face off against Bielsa because, you know, we've we've talked about this a couple of times this isn't you know this isn't their first matchup this isn't their first rodeo and we've we've always said oh we'd be a bit concerned about how parker matches up against someone like marcelo bielsa who is doing a remarkable job and i think actually interestingly when you look at a lot of fan channels and when you look at a lot of the combined lineups the combined 11s that people put out for fulham and leeds you probably see slightly more fulham players and leeds players in there these days and and i think that speaks volumes to not only the fact that fulham have put together a a good squad but also that marcelo bielsa is doing an incredible job with a a, a side that is basically sheffield united with rafinha um and and, (laughs) (laughs) i don't mean that with any disrespect to sheffield united um (laughs) 
But it, are you trying to get Leeds fans in your mentions? Is that what you're trying to do? No, I'm being incredibly positive about Marcelo Bielsa as usual. I think the man is a genius, and and I am, as you know, a full-on <laughs> Bielsa acolyte. Um, I think he's doing an absolutely phenomenal job at Leeds United, <laughs> and. And I just think that he hasn't actually, he's been made to do that with a squad, which I still think is majority, you know, majority championship caliber. That's, you know, I think you look at it and look at that in, in genuine. How many of those, those players do you put into the Fulham squad right now? I don't think the answer will be money. I really don't. So you, when, you, when you look at it like that, I think not only does it show how good Bielsa is, but also the fact that Parker has matched up against him and has done well on numerous occasions. And now I'm interested, now that Parker perhaps has a squad that is as good, if not better than Bielsa's, how he then tries to maneuver this game to, to manipulate that in his favor. So I think we'll see that high press. I think it will be Lookman, Madger, and maybe, well, one of Cavaleiro and, and Bobby Reed uh, on that other side. I'm interested to see if the midfield three is stuck with or if it's Ruben Loftus-Cheek that comes in to, to play that 10 role. Um, I think the back four or the back five will pick itself in, in many ways because, well, we haven't seen too many changes. I don't think we're going to see Anthony Robinson recover his spot. But if he does, it's not a huge, huge blow or anything. That's just the way that it's, it's worked a couple of times. So, so yeah, I think we'll see a very, very press-heavy front three because that's what's put Leeds under pressure this season. I'd be interested to see if we play with the 10 or three midfielders who sit and, and make it stodgy like we did against City. And, I mean, yeah, the defence picks itself. It doesn't really matter who plays in defence, does it? We, we trust them all now. Yeah. Um, Peter, um, are you, do you imagine Major? comes back in. I did see something about how Leeds have conceded the most headed goals in the division this mm. year, which obviously would make you inclined to think that Mitrovic would do well. And of course, that's who Mitrovic scored against last. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was going to say, I actually think this could easily be a game for Mitrovic to start. Um, obviously, we haven't seen him for quite a while now. Uh, he got a considerable amount of time against City, um, almost as though he's trying to build up some minutes with something in mind. Um, I, I feel like the way Leeds defence set plays, I feel like their vulnerability aerially at the back, as you just mentioned, Sammy, is something that Fulham will want to exploit. Um, I think it worked very effectively at Ellen Road. Um, so I wouldn't be a surprise to see him come in. I, I still, you know, Josh Madge has come in and he is still young. He's still lacking in that Premier League ex experience. Um, and I don't think his aerial game is going to be as effective, obviously, as as, as Mitrovic. So there's, I think... I think there's 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 a case there definitely for him to come in. I, I feel like with the way Leeds play, you're going to favour your one-on-one -on -one players. So you, you're probably going to favour someone like Cavallero, probably someone like Anguisha in the in the middle. Because once you once you lose your man against Leeds, you've you've got an overload. Um, and you know, and making sure that Fulham can build on those and take advantage of them in, in, in forward areas will be key. Um, I think I think I'd imagine that Scott Park will stick with a four, um, just because of the imperative of needing to win. Um, and you know, and you know the way Leeds play in terms of matching players. I think having an extra player in in, in advanced areas because they always have a spare man at the back, don't they? So, um, yeah, interesting. I, I I definitely think that's that's going to be the thinking. And I th I wouldn't be surprised to see to see Mitrovic come in. I don't think you you'll need that sort of fluid fluidity that that Magic can can bring instead. Great. All right. Well, we'll see what happens on Friday night against Leeds. All that needs to be done before we finish the podcast is reveal the answers uh, to your questions. 
Peter. So we'll see if Jack gets three out of three. He's supremely confident that mm. he will. I'm mm. fairly sure he will as well. Annoyingly, I really want him to not get three, but I just don't think that's going to happen here. But um, let's know your scores uh, once once uh, Peter's given the answers at Fulhamish Pod. It'd be interesting to see how you get on. Uh, so what have we got? Question number one. Yeah, number one was the uh, the club's question. So what clubs have uh, said player played for? And uh, the player in question was Scott Parker. Um, so he's played for Charlton, then went on loan somewhere, then came back. Then it was Chelsea, Newcastle, West Ham, Tottenham, Fulham. And he went on loan to Jack? Norwich City. Correct. Um, it was there and Newcastle were the only two clubs he played out outside of London. Um, and they both began with N. That was, a, that was another quiz question somewhere once. Um, I thought that would be a question that no one would get because for me, it was so, you know, I just didn't see it. You know, when, I, I, it, do you remember when he scored that goal against Norwich um, in the championships? I mean, um, from the edge of the box, it was an absolute Premier league. Oh, it was a wonderful goal. It was still when he was 28, he was wearing the 28 shirt still at the time. He scored yeah. a lovely goal from the edge of the box um, and they referenced it in the commentary afterwards. Ah. See, so I had no, I, I had no idea on that one, and just guessed Millwall because I London. thought of the London yeah, connection. Respect. But yeah. anyway, I, I was thinking it was too obvious when I gave the answer, which which should have been my clue. Actually, I should have put another London club. Really, um, see Gillingham. You know, they're they're not too far away from Charlton. Also, so, Fulham, but... Fulham, and Gillingham's relationship is rocky, to say the least, given uh, previous <laughs> events. That would yes. be known. Yeah. Uh, okay, and the next question was who scored in a 1-0 victory. Uh, this game was Fulham 1, Egalio Athens 0, Intertoto Cup, third round, July 2002. Jack? Uh, Louis Saha was the oh, goal yeah. scorer. Very good. Again, I had no idea, but went Steve Marley because I remember that Steve Marley, he didn't really have a prolific spell for Fulham. That was kind of the problem. But if there was one time where he scored a few goals was the kind of beginning of that season in the Intertoto, but a, a full-on guess. Um, you mentioned it last night on the quiz, Peter. Are Regalio Athens still a club? I'm Googling it. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of thing I thought Jack might have just um, been and able to... They re- are still a club, real- but they, they don't play in the old... Uh, divisions that you'd know about anymore they're like a Dnipro they just like play like well below where they used to be once had some European success or success in this case losing to Fulham in a year we we won the cup um and they play in like the Greek third tier or I think it might be the second tier actually no third tier in Greece yeah so yeah, yeah third tier so they play in as a in the feeder league to the Super League two so they are no longer at the heady heights well, of the intertoto. Of the intertoto. <laughs> and question number three. Okay. Uh, how many Americans have played for Fulham in the Premier League? Um, how many, Jack? So there have been 11 players that have played for Fulham from America. Um, I don't think that Luca De La Torre, Emerson Hindman, or Marcus Hanneman have played in the Premier League. So I would go eight. Um, and my favorite one of these is Eddie Lewis, who was Fulham's second ever American. Um, and he made one appearance against Blackburn in the last game of the season where Fulham came up. Um, so this go. has just turned into Jack flexing, hasn't it? I mean, it's yeah, a little bit. Horribly. Yeah, I'm, I'm very upset. And you even got that bloody bonus question about Tom Kearney working <laughs> in the Barclays <laughs> Bank, which he'd have had absolutely no right to know. He just I didn't know. <laughs> Look, sometimes it all comes up. Sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, um, 
Life well, is let Sammy. Us, Life let is. us know how you did with Peter's questions at Fulhamish Pod. Um, thank you to my guest today, Peter Rutzler, Quizmaster Peter Rutzler. No, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. I've, I, that's my quiz mastering, mastering days over, I think. Although it is going up on The Athletic this week, isn't it? Yes, quiz? it's going up tomorrow. So you can you can do the full quiz. Uh, it's, it'll be published on The Athletic tomorrow. Fantastic. Uh, and the triumphant Jack Collins. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Happy belated St. Patrick's Day to everybody listening to this. It's been a good one. Great stuff. All right. We will be back on Sunday uh, looking back at the Leeds game. I believe I'm going to be hosting and Jack and Loz, uh, who you may know uh, from their wonderful blog that they write after each game, are going to be guests on the podcast. Fingers crossed, all going smoothly. So, yes, Jack and Loz should be joining me on the podcast on Sunday. So definitely one to check out. Uh, have a good weekend. Hopefully we can do the business on Friday. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.